Well, good morning, church family and friends, guests, and those of you watching online. Uh, we're glad you're with us. God has given us another chance to gather together and to grow by spending time in His words. So let's pray, and uh, we'll get started. Lord, uh, you are a good, good Father. You're a great God, and uh, your love ran red so that our sins could be washed white. And we're so thankful for the cross of Christ. We're so thankful for the resurrection and that we can worship and, and uh, serve a living Savior. And God, we thank you that your word is also alive. And Lord, uh, you want your word right now to penetrate our hearts, Lord, to, to pierce our minds and our souls and to bring transformation. So God, it's our greatest desire that we do not leave here the same as we came in. But Lord, have your way with us, Lord. Do your work in us and through us. And so we uh, come hungry and thirsty as your children and as your students through the teaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, I, I've shared before uh, that I don't really have a, a great relationship with my father. Uh, we're very disconnected, uh, him, and, him and I. And uh, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that, but basically uh, there's just some unhealthy things that have been there in the past. There's been some drinking and some anger and all those kinds of things. And he's always kind of intimidated me a bit. Uh, a lot of us have intimidation factors with our fathers, even, even good fathers or something interesting about that. But there was this uh, interesting occurrence that took place for me as a teenager because I gave my life to Christ as a teenager. And, and, I, and I believed in Jesus and trusted in Jesus, and I understood that, that uh, Jesus has commanded us to go and tell everybody about him. And so that includes people at home. And so I thought, man, I want to I tell my dad about Jesus, you know? And so I'll never forget that moment where uh, I don't even know what started the conversation, but here I was as a teenager, young in my faith, uh, growing in Christ, and I said, hey, dad, I want to talk to you about God, you know? I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I had no idea what little snare I stepped into, and man, something happened. I've heard it said that when you tell people about Jesus, they'll either be glad or mad. He got mad. And next thing I know, the voice was raised, that finger was waving in my face, says, don't you ever talk to me about God. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend, you know, you know, I'll be praying for you, and don't you ever pray for me. I never honored that request. I just want you to know it's a little <laughs> bit of rebellion in my heart. I need to pray more. But that, that just, that's, that's just been ingrained in my mind that like, I, I didn't know that that was going to happen. And so over the years, I just hope that he, he'll, he'll see Christ in me and my family and that God will use that somehow to draw him to himself. But th that was such an intimidation factor in trying to share Christ with my father. Now, we had a phone conversation a few months ago, and we had a chance to connect and catch up. He had just moved. And during the course of the conversation, I couldn't help myself. I started kind of, I threw a couple spiritual things in the mix, you know what? And he just quietly dismissed them. I'll take that as progress. <laughs> You know, no fight was activated and stuff. It shows me that there's, there's reason for hope, you know, for my father. And, uh, but it's still an intimidating consideration. He's, he's the most intimidating person for me, personally, to share the gospel with. Who is the most intimidating person for you to share the gospel with? What situation or person is the most intimidating for you to share the gospel with? You know, I asked that uh, question online last week, and just say, hey, you know, uh, who's the most intimidating for you to share the gospel with? And people shared, and these were some of the answers. Total strangers, those of another faith, religious people, large groups, people under the influence of alcohol or drugs, 
people at work, those who have a hostile disposition with God, my neighbors, uh, those who profess faith in Christ but don't actually have a faith in Christ, uh, those who are stuck in the thinking that you just have to be good enough, uh, those who have racial, political, or sexual identity barriers and shields up. Um, But guess what the number one answer was? Anyone want to take a guess? Family. Family. Isn't that kind of a sad irony that our family members are the hardest when it comes to sharing the gospel with? So, We need to ask ourselves, what will it take? What will it take to push us past our fears and our feelings of intimidation to share the best news a person can hear? How can we make our feelings of intimidation inferior compared to the superior message of Christ? We need to think about that. And as we continue in uh, Acts, we're going to be in chapters 24 through 26 today, and we're going to see an incredible and inspiring example in the man known as the Apostle Paul. God maneuvered him into some very intimidating situations, uh, speaking to some very intimidating people, but he didn't back down. He pushed down any feelings of intimidation that he had. He made those feelings inferior compared to the superior message that God had given him to carry to other people. And so as you turn right now to Acts 24 in your Bibles, let me just frame in where we are historically and narratively in the book of Acts. Now, Paul was in Jerusalem, and he was (coughs) seized and beaten in the Jewish temple by a crowd of angry Jewish leaders. And the chaos got the attention of the Roman authorities, especially one Roman tribune named Claudius Lysias, who arrested him and took him into custody. Now, during that time, there was a plot to ambush and kill Paul. But Claudius uh, got wind of that, and what he did is he had um, uh, Paul transported at night, in the middle of the night, from Jerusalem to Caesarea under the guard of 470 Roman soldiers. So this is a big deal. And for anyone who's questioning like the reality of God and the claims of Christ, it's like, why would 470 people need to you know, guard a guy that just believes in the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Like, that just validates the reality of Jesus and, and what he's done in the lives of people. And so when you look at the map, what we see here is they're currently down in Jerusalem and, and under the guard provided They're going to move him all the way up northwest to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was the most important Roman city in Israel during the time of Christ. It was the Roman capital. This was the center of Roman power. And so this is where he found all the people who were anybody of anybody in the Roman uh, uh, power and court and rule and all those things. And what they did is they took him to Caesarea. And I'm just going to show you a picture of a rendering of what Caesarea looked like during the time of Christ and the time when Paul showed up. And this was a huge port city that Herod the Great built. And so, you know, massive port that could hold about 300 ships. And here, here's Caesarea, the Hippodrome, you know, all these kinds of things. And right here on this peninsula here was the Herod's Praetorium. And this was the palace that they took Paul to. And what happens, if you were to get an aerial view of this now today, this is what it looks like. And so this right here, about half of the city is underwater. So they've only been able to excavate about half of the city because a lot of it's still underwater. And so here you see, you know, the Hippodrome and what remains of the cities and, of course, all these areas. And if you focus on this peninsula here, you'll especially see it in the next picture. Um, This right here is that peninsula. These are the ruins of Herod's Praetorium, of the palace where... Uh, 
Paul was held for two years. And, and so we were here just a couple months ago. We were standing, you know, right here on the spot. The next picture shows you a little slide there. This is, you know, the foundation area that's been reconstructed and renovated from the time of when Paul was there. And, you know, a bunch of us went a couple months ago. Maybe some of you in a couple years will get a chance to stand there as well. But this is a real place. These are real events. This really happened. And this is what happened in the life of Paul. And so as we see this as our backdrop, I want you to focus on this simple thing that I kept seeing over and over and over again as I was reading these couple chapters, is that uh, Christ kept maneuvering Paul into positions where he'd share the news of Jesus with intimidating people and intimidating situations. And as he did, the vehicle that he used often to share the gospel was his story. It was his own story. And really, as we look at these chapters, you kind of see a template of how you can share your story, otherwise known as your testimony, or your new life story of of sharing Christ. And so as you look at that, I just want to make some simple observations here. The first thing in this template, if you will, that you see is that God was giving Paul the opportunity to speak. And of course, if God's going to give Paul the opportunity to speak, he's going to give us the opportunity to speak. And so here's what we see as we zoom in on the events surrounding Paul's life. Now, he's in Caesarea, and he's before the governor of Judea named Felix. And he's being accused by a group of Jewish elders, including the high priest and a high-powered lawyer that they brought in. And they portray Paul as a dangerous, check this out, plague. In verse 5, they call him a plague. How would you like that as a nickname, right? And Felix hears all these accusations, but he dismisses the Jewish leaders, doesn't take action. Instead, he just keeps Paul in custody for two years, occasionally inviting him to speak to him. Uh, We see one of those situations where Felix wants to hear from Paul. He gives him an opportunity to speak. So look at Acts 24, 24, and the verses that follow. It says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. Isn't that awesome? You heard him speak about faith in Christ. And as he reasoned, as Paul was reasoning about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away from the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. How many times do you think Felix heard the gospel of Jesus? Two years talking to Paul one-on-one. Over and over and over and over again. He was given the opportunity to speak. Now, being before Felix had to be intimidating on some level because Felix was known for his cruelty and greed. He was ruthless and he was corrupt. But Paul was given the opportunity to speak to him multiple times. And so whatever feelings of intimidation might have been there, he pushed them down. He made them inferior compared to the superior message that he carried. And as you see here, it's very clear that he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. They weren't just talking about the weather. They weren't talking about the pretty stones there at Caesarea. He was talking about faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul took it even a step further in his boldness and says he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and judgment. So he didn't veil. He didn't sugarcoat the gospel. I want you to envision this. This is the, this is the most powerful man, Roman man, in Judea. And Paul is talking to him and his wife at this point, Drusilla, which is really a scandalous marriage because this 19 or 20-year-old uh, daughter of Herod Agrippa I was lured by Felix out of her previous marriage to another king into a marriage with him. And he just was known for his corruption, his immorality. And Paul's talking to him about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. If you were Felix, how would that make you feel? 
So Felix got a little squirrely. But Paul didn't care. He obviously showed respect. He showed the honor that was due, but he boldly shared the message of Christ and the results of knowing Christ. Well, Paul was kept in prison for two years in Caesarea under the reign of Felix. And then it was time for him to transfer to the next governor of Judea, a man named Festus. Now, Festus was a more honorable man, but he was very green. He had no idea what he just stepped into. He wasn't that familiar with Judaism and all that was going on. He just knew he inherited this prisoner. And so he started exploring the situations. And of course, this led to uh, more conversations with Festus now and more you know, trials with Festus. And eventually, Festus has a visitor named uh, Herod Agrippa II, the, 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 Jewish, the last Jewish king of Palestine, who came basically to welcome him and say, congratulations on your new job. And he was downloading all that was taking place. Like, man, Grip, I'm glad you're here. I got this guy, Paul. Here's what's going on. I don't really know what to do with this guy. Um, hey, do you got any tips? Well, basically, Herod Agrippa says, I'd like to hear from this guy, Paul. And so we pick up the story in Acts 25 because the stage is set. In Acts 25, we see more opportunity for Paul to speak. In verse 22, it says, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, this is another scandalous marriage. He's actually married to his sister. Bernice is his sister. Came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with military tribunes and prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with you, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he has done nothing deserving death. And as he himself has appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I've brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Talk about an intimidating situation. You're the Apostle Paul. You yanked out of your prison cell, and you're flung into this massive, beautiful courtroom filled with, oh, just the king of Palestine, just the Roman governor and their ladies, and all of a sudden there's all these military tribunes, high-ranking military officials, and anybody who's anybody in Rome that's got a voice of influence. That might be just a little intimidating. And so he's there. And, and, and here you've got you know, Festus going, what do I do with this guy? He's appealed to go to Caesar. I'm going to send him on to Nero, but I don't know what to say. I've got to fill out my little you know, governor report and triplicate. I don't even know what to write. So, Agrippa, you're more familiar with this stuff. Help me out here. This is basically what's going on. I can't just send him to Nero with like nothing. I've got to have some, something substantial. I don't have a clue what to write because he doesn't deserve death, but the Jews are freaking out. So help me out here. This is building up the situation. Well, we see a beautiful moment where Paul is given the opportunity to speak because God was maneuvering him to share the gospel with people of great influence. Acts 26, verses 1 through 3, it says, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul was given the opportunity to speak, and he was going to take it. Now, I don't know if God's going to give you the opportunity to speak about Jesus to government officials and high-ranking positions in this world. With a group of this size, perhaps some of you will. 
But we do know this. God is going to give all of us opportunities to speak to people daily. People all around us in multiple capacities. We know that God's going to have us talk to our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and complete strangers. And this is what God does. He maneuvers us into that. Well, here's the thing. Some of you are going, that's great, but what does an opportunity really sound like? Like some of you are going, is this an opportunity? There will be times when people will flat out ask you, hey, what do you believe? Just so you know, that's an opportunity, okay? You can freely share what you believe about Jesus. But we also have to be wise enough to pick up on cues when people are just talking or engaging us, saying, saying things that are really opportunities that we might not uh, initially realize. Someone might say something like this. They might say, hey, what do you think about, and, and there might be a common topic. And you can, you can take that topic and somehow swing it and transfer it to your faith and, and how your faith determines what you believe on that topic. Another situation is people will talk about their life and they might say things like, I've really messed up or I don't know what to do. You know what? When they're, when they're unfolding their life and they're in a place of hopelessness, that's an opportunity to speak about Christ who brings hope, who brings freedom, who can bring restoration. Sometimes people will say, you know, there's got to be more out there. I've had people say, well, if there's a God, it's like, if you ever hear someone say, well, if there's a God, that's an opportunity. You can, you, you've been given a green light to say, well, can I, can I share about that? I, I always recommend, ask permission, you know, hey, can I share about that? And you move into it. And so Paul's given the opportunity to speak, and he takes it. When we're given the opportunity to speak, we've got to take it. So we see that first in this template, if you will. The second thing we see is this. It's good to speak about your life before Christ. Paul started with his old self who he was before Jesus. Look at Acts 26, verse 4. He's talking to King Agrippa. He says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. He goes on in verse 9. I myself was convinced... I think that's an interesting phrase. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blasphemy and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul paints a picture of the old self. I was a deeply devoted religious man a Pharisee, very pious, very zealous for my God. And I went out after people who said that they knew Jesus and I did everything I could within my power to punish them, to get them even to, to be executed. And so he lays out this, this who he was before Christ scenario. And he paints a picture of the old self. And I find it interesting here that he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do these things. Before we know Christ, we too have convinced ourselves we need to do certain things. I myself am convinced that I need this for fulfillment. I need this for purpose. I need this to be made right with God. And how many of those things were wrong? And good works doesn't make us right with God. You know, just more money is not going to make us fulfilled. It's not going to give us the purpose we want. Then we convince ourselves. And so you start to think about your old life. And so let me just ask this. For those of you who are in Christ, which is most of you here, if you were to think about your old life, like, what did you value? How did you think? How did you behave? What did you believe? What was going on in your life before Jesus? Like, what was there? And if you were to capture all of that in one word, what word comes to mind? 
What word comes to mind? I'm going to actually ask a few of you. So I'm just looking for some hands. What, what's one word that captures who you were before Christ? Got to shout it loud. Self-focused. Scared. Okay. Reckless. That's good. Any other takers? How about balcony? We never get to hear from them. anyone up there. Yes. Say again. Lost. Balcony up here. Any takers? All right. Okay. One more. A hot mess. I love it. Yes. You know what's so beautiful? As we think about those one words, that's who we were. That's who we were before Jesus. And so Paul paints this picture of his old life. And when you start to think about, when you share Christ with people, paint the picture of who you were, your need for Jesus. Well, we see this template continue because Paul goes right on to the next step, which many of you already know. He talks about his conversion to Christ, right? He talks about how he encountered Jesus, how he met Jesus. And so look at Acts 26, verse 13. Now he's telling the king his story. He says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. He's speaking to the rebellious spirit in, in Paul. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Look at verse 18. There's some significant content in verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul is sharing of his conversion of how he met Jesus. And did you see the presence of the gospel content, the salvation message in verse 18 that we just looked at? I mean, people had, they were blind and it says their eyes need to be opened and they need to turn from darkness to light. They need to turn from the power of the devil to the power of God and they can find forgiveness and sanctification and holiness in faith in Christ. Do you know what Paul's doing here? He's sharing his story. Now he's embedding. He's talking to the king. He's embedding the gospel content in his story to the king. The king's picking up what he's laying down. He's smelling what he's cooking. You know what I'm saying? This is the gospel. And Paul's making it very clear. So taking after Paul's example and looking at this template, we get an opportunity to speak. We get to talk about our old life in Christ. And then we get to share how we met Christ. And so when you think about your time meeting Christ, like, where were you? How old were you? Who were you with? Like, how did God convict you and turn you from sin to a place of repentance and trust in him? Like, what all took place in that moment? Like, for me, I I can still see myself as that fifth going on sixth grader in a little church hearing about how much God loves me and hearing about my need for Jesus and hearing about Jesus dying on the cross and hearing about the resurrection and my mind being blown and all those questions I started asking him, like the deeper questions in life, like why, you know, who am I and why am I here and, and did I really come from monkeys and all this kind of stuff that was swirling in my mind. This, this message pierced. I remember uh, walking down that, you know, the, the aisle and, and, and making a decision to follow Christ and going in a, in a room and praying with a man named Ben. I remember that like it was yesterday. Man, where were you, and, 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 and what took place in that moment where you were converted to Christ? Let me just take a quick poll by hands. How many of you were with a family member? How many of you were with a family member when you gave your lives to Christ? Yeah, oftentimes. I know it's been a joy for us. We've had some of our children profess faith in Christ in our home, at our kitchen table. How many of you were with a friend or two? 
You know, a friend took a risk and sharing Christ with you. How many of you were in a church service maybe, okay, a church service? How many of you had like a private moment with the Lord? You were just home or somewhere else and you just gave your life to Christ? Absolutely. Isn't God faithful to meet us? Man, you, you look at this moment, like this definitely was a supernatural encounter that Paul had because, Paul, you know, God had special plans for Paul, but all of our encounters with the Lord are special, and they're special to us. And so just with the same type of enthusiasm that we would tell someone how we met our husband or met our wife or, you know, a special person in our life, we should share that kind of enthusiasm with how we met Christ as part of the template. And then it sets up the next part, which is speak about your new life in Christ. Now you're giving contrast. Paul says, this is who I was, King Agrippa. I was this religious guy, but I was hateful and murderous. And I met Jesus. Now let me tell you what I'm doing because of Jesus. Look at Acts 26, 19. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me, and to this day I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles." Let's just think about what these guys are hearing. All these people of great influence in this hall, they're hearing about this man who once was this murderous, pious, zealous Jew who couldn't wait to eradicate the world of the message of Christ. Now being the guy who can't wait to saturate the world with the message of Christ. He's been transformed. And they're just going, who is this guy? And so Paul is bragging on God's work in his life. Paul is bragging on Jesus and his transforming power. And so he gives contrast to his old life, saying, and Herod, now what I'm doing? Man, I started in Damascus, and I started telling people about Jesus there, and I started telling people about Jesus in Jerusalem, and I started telling people about Jesus in Judea, and everywhere I go, and now he's got me with you, you know? All this is going on. He's sharing the transformation. When you think about your life, how did Jesus transform you? When you think about who you were, in contrast, who are you now because of Christ? What does your new life in Christ look like? I was angry. I was an angry young man. And God gave me peace and he gave me joy. That's what my new life in Christ looks like. How about you? If you were to pick one word that best describes the newness you have in Christ, what word comes to mind? And I'd love to have a few of you share. Who's going to go first? Looking for hands again. Looking for hands. Restored. Looking for hands. Looking for hands. Looking for hands. I know there's hands. Yes. Alive. Peace. I saw a hand over here. Grateful. And on and on and on and on we can go. Like this is the handiwork of our God. We're bragging on the life-transforming power of Jesus when we give the contrast of our new life in Christ. So we're done, right? The template's done. Hey, man, I got my opportunity to speak. I shared about my old life. Shared about how I met Jesus. Shared about my new life. I'm done, right? Is he done? Paul's not done. Paul's not done. The boldness continues. Any feelings of intimidation at this point are out the window. They are totally inferior to the superior message he has. He's moving in. He calls King Agrippa to belief. Like that's the thing that we forget to do sometimes. We share our story and then we just stop short. He goes next, he calls him to belief. Look at Acts 26. Awesome encounter right here, right? Verse 24. As he was saying these things in his defense, 
Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Some versions say mad, you know. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. He's being respectful. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Basically what's happening at this moment is Festus can't handle it anymore. He's hearing the story of a man who was dead who's come back to life. And now having heavenly visions. And this man being transformed. Festus has no file folder for what he's hearing. He can't grasp what's going on. And he just you've lost your mind, Paul. And Paul goes, oh no, I haven't lost my mind. And you know what? This king right here, this Jewish king, he knows what I'm talking about because he's familiar with Jewish ways. He's familiar with the Old Testament. He's familiar with the prophecies. And all that's happened with Jesus and all that we're talking about, it didn't happen in some little corner. It was very public. It was a public execution. There's a lot of people walking around talking about seeing a risen Savior. Oh, Herod knows very well about this. And look what he does. He presses in. He locks eyes, right, with King Herod. Look at verse 27. King, or King Agrippa, I mean. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Wow. Just envision this moment. You're in a hall. You're a prisoner. And everyone with, around you has tremendous authority and power and royalty and pomp. And you lock eyes with the, the, the alpha male. You lock eyes with the guy who's got the biggest crown in the room. And you say, do you believe? You know what I'm talking about. Who felt most uncomfortable in that moment, do you think? I don't think it was Paul. I think King Agrippa was getting a little uncomfortable in his chair. And he knew exactly what, what Paul was getting to. Man, you've, you've read the prophecies. Man, your whole family has been dealing with Jesus and stuff. Like, you know what's going on. You believe. And King Agrippa's like, whoa, whoa, time out here. Do you think in this little conversation that you're going to convert me to be a Christian? And did Paul go, oh, I'm so sorry, my bad. No, no. He said, short or long, I don't care. Not only you, but everybody who just heard what I had to say. Let's get all of you guys. He's just throwing out the net. If there was any feeling of intimidation, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul slayed them. He made them inferior to the superior message of the Messiah, of new life in Christ, of forgiveness of sins, of what it means to be right with God. And he didn't care if the person in the room was a king or a peasant. Great or small, the message was the same. And he went for it. Like, when you start thinking about those people who intimidate you most, are you like, give me some of that? Like, next time I pick up the phone with my dad, give me some of that. Next time you're talking to a neighbor, a friend, or a coworker, or one of your family members, and you're feeling a little intimidated, Lord, give me some of that. And Paul's boldness was direct and it was responsive. But Agrippa was not going to bite. And we see this all over Scripture. When the gospel gauntlet was laid down, some people believed, some people didn't. Some people got glad, some people got mad. It's just going to happen. You know, I was talking to a man after this last service. He goes, I need it today. He goes, I was having a conversation with my brother yesterday about faith in Christ, and he got mad. And I was just reminded today, that's okay, because I'm just being faithful. I love my brother. I don't want him to spend eternity apart from God. 
I hope that his eyes are opened. And I, 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 did, I did it in a, you know, a healthy way, but he's not biting. You know what? We just have to be faithful to share what we know. Some of you are going, sounds great, but like, how, how do you do that? Some of us have been in that moment where we're in a conversation and you know, maybe we even share our old life and how we met Christ and our new life. And then we're like, we're supposed to call into belief, but we're like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I'm in the moment. You can, you can feel it. Like, what do I do next? I just got the ball. Which way do I run? What do I do? You know? Here's just some suggestions for how you can press people for um, faith in Christ. One, one of the things you can ask them is just, are you in a place where you're ready to turn to Christ? Like, that's, that's a very intimidating statement to be able to look at someone and go, are you ready to turn to Christ? But you know what? We shouldn't feel intimidated. Man, there's high stakes. These are souls at stake. And so we need to be loving and clear and say, look, after everything I've shared with you, are you in a place where you're ready to turn to Christ? You know what? There will be people in that moment that go, yes, I am. And there'll be people that say, no, I'm not. But here's some other ways you can engage them. You can say, you know what? What's holding you back from turning to Jesus? I love this question. When I'm talking with people who are processing, putting their faith in Christ, I'm going to say, hey, what's holding you back from trusting Christ? What's it going to take to get you from here to here? It really gets them thinking. I think it really gets them thinking. Like, well, yes, I am, and here's why, or no, I'm not, and here's why. And, and sometimes it really puts the finger on who they're serving. No, I'm not going to because it means I have to give up control of my life. No, I'm not going to because it means, uh, you know, I'm going to have to maybe end a relationship that, that's not good, or, you know, I, I have too much concern about money, or whatever it is. What's it going to take for you to move from here to here? That's a great question. Another one is, is just say, would you consider what I said, and can we have another conversation? Don't always think that that moment has to be the moment. We don't want to press it when it might not be God's timing, right? I don't know about you, God's timing's perfect. So we don't need to try to rush it. Sometimes God says, you're going to plant these seeds and I'm moving you out. And you can just say, hey, you know, would you take into consideration what we talked about and can we talk later? But if you say, can we talk later? May I beg of you, talk later. Don't drop the conversation. Be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Like circle back around. Can we talk later? Sure. A lot of times they'll say, sure. Your next question should be, When? Because sometimes I say, sure, thinking, oh, maybe this will just get this person off my back, you know? If you say, when? How about next week? Okay, next week. I'll circle back around and check on you. How you doing? Sometimes you can just pray for them. How can I pray for you? How can I help you pray? How can I help you? These are just ways that we can engage that moment. You know, as we, as we process everything that we're seeing and hearing right now, as we're dealing with our own feelings of intimidation, I just, I just want to share a story. I want to share a story from one of our own church family members. Who can really relate to what we're talking about today and has navigated these feelings of intimidation? Her name is Michelle, and I'm going to let her tell the story. So let's watch and listen. We were always um, active in our church from the time I was born until, I mean, now we're always active. And uh, I grew up in church. My, I have relatives that were ministers, and we we're active in the children's ministry and the youth ministry and the choir. We plan things. So from a child, from a baby, I was always, I mean, we went to two services on Sundays and Wednesday nights and were involved many of the other days of the week with um, different activities. But it was all about us doing and we never had a real relationship with Jesus, which we didn't realize at the time. So we got to the point where we were getting a little frustrated, I think, because we didn't have that relationship, didn't realize that we got a little frustrated. Um, we didn't really look forward to going to church anymore. It really became about all the activities that we were involved in. and. We didn't realize why we were so frustrated, but we got to the point where we needed something else. We felt, even though we grew up in this church in the first 40 years of my life I spent there, that's where I met my husband, we felt we needed more. 
So we began looking around at churches and um, came here to CBC. It, it, was, it was interesting because we started coming during the religious myths. So a lot of that was what we believed. So it was really eye-opening to us and we had a lot of questions that we asked afterwards. You know, this is what we believed and now you're telling us this. And, but we didn't grow up really reading the Bible and we were never really encouraged to. So once we started asking questions, they kept pointing us to the Bible. Chad and the different ones pointed us to the Bible, you know, look here for your answers. And we did, and we had lots of questions and continued to come to the services. And we realized that this is what we're lacking. We didn't, the Bible was not part of our life. As we got to, into that more, we, you know, developed our relationship with Jesus. We're still growing in our relationship with Jesus. And we think found a lot of answers that uh, filled a lot of those voids in our lives. It wasn't just busy work that we were doing in our other church. We were, you know, learning and growing in our relationship. You know, it, it was hard for us to step away. I mean, that was 40 years of our lives, generations of my family all believing in that, you know, going to the same church. So when we decided that, you know, we started coming to CBC, loved it here, we shared that with our family. You know, some of the differences we've learned and the truth that we've learned and, you know, kind of pointing them more towards the Bible and look for the truth. They, some of them, I mean, were happy for us and supportive. I think they were all kind of supportive, but they, I mean, others were, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, I don't like to hear that. We, we, they, they, they told us that, it, friends and family that we knew from our old church. But, you know, I think the more time we spent with them, the more we talked to them, they saw the joy that we had in our lives and just talking about it and our, our new relationship and our new knowledge and our growth. Um, so that excited them. It's kind of sad to look back to think the first 40 years of your life you spent in a church and had no and have no relationship with Jesus, even though that's what it, I mean supposed to be all about. You know, as Paul was talking to Agrippa, and of course many of the people Paul talked to, they knew about Jesus. They just didn't know Jesus. You know, as I listened to Michelle's story, um, you know, years of knowing about Jesus, but not really knowing Jesus. And a lot of us can relate to that, either now or in our past. And uh, a couple years ago, Michelle came to know Jesus personally. And her and her husband, Rob, today are getting baptized uh, and going public with that faith in Christ. Um, and so I encourage you guys to be there to support them and everyone else who's getting baptized today because they've come to know Jesus. And now they're surrounded by people who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And it's intimidating when it's family and friends. But you know what? They're trying to push past that and do the best they can to just lovingly share Christ with their family and friends. They're trying to make their feelings of intimidation inferior compared to the superior message of Christ. And my challenge for you today is to do the same thing. As a believer, I'm going to go back to a question I asked you at the beginning. Who's that one person who most intimidates you when it comes to sharing your faith? What's that one situation that really intimidates you the most when it comes to sharing your faith? Here's my challenge. This week, will you engage them and tell them again about your story in meeting Christ? Will you go after it? And I'm not willing to put that out there without taking the step myself. I'm committing to you as my church family. To this week, I'm calling my dad. I want to pick up that phone. I haven't talked to him about anything like this in decades. I'm just going to go there probably stronger than what I did when I was 15. Because I love my dad. And whatever feelings of intimidation are there, I'm going to slay those through the power of the Holy Spirit, make them inferior to the superior message I want my dad to know. And so who's with me? Who's with me this week that you'll go after the most intimidating situation or person to lovingly share the gospel? And if you're not a follower of Christ today, 
then you just have to ask yourself, man, all the stuff that you heard today, like why would, why would they make such a big deal about one guy who just believes in a dude who rose from the dead? It was probably because what he believed was right and it was, it was rocking the boat. And you need to ask yourself about the validity of that. And you need to look at the claims of Christ. And maybe today is the day that you're ready to turn to Christ. Is today the day that you'll turn to Christ? And if not, what's holding you back from turning and trusting in Jesus? Here's what we're going to do. If you're not a believer today, whatever's intimidating you, whatever's um, preventing you from having the discussion about Jesus, I challenge you to push past those feelings and at least have a conversation about Jesus. After the service, we're going to have just a couple pastors just going to be hanging out right here in the corner. If you've never given your life to Christ, they'd love to talk to you and just say, hey, how can I help you know more about Jesus? And just have a, a, a spiritual dialogue. And so today after the service, stay an extra few minutes, be bold, come over here, talk to a new friend, find out more about Jesus. For the rest of us, man, we've got to slay those feelings of inferiority. Make them inferior, those feelings of intimidation, because we've got a superior message and souls are counting on it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the reminder. As we look at this stunning narrative of the Apostle Paul and how you maneuvered him, Lord, to certain people. Lord, you maneuver us to certain people as well. And God, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, anyone online watching that doesn't know you, Lord, they take that first step of faith by getting in touch or coming and talking to us so they can know more about you. Give them the boldness and courage to do that. God, for the rest of us who know you, Lord, would you just continue to slay our fears? May our fears be smaller than our faith. God, help us push past anything that's preventing us from being more bold. Lord, help us to be loving, help us to be respectful, but help us to be bold in sharing Christ with the people that intimidate us most. And so right now what I want to do is I just want to give you guys 30 seconds. I'm just going to give you a moment. Whoever that person is, whatever that situation is that you're willing to step out, would you just take the next 30 seconds and just pray and just ask God to go before you? We want to talk to God about these people before we talk to these people about God. And so just lift up their names. Ask God to soften their hearts and open their ears and give you the right words and to give you discernment and wisdom. Just pray for these people before you say anything this week. We can't wait to hear what God is going to be doing through you in the week to come. Let's take this moment, lift up those people.